0: The loyal heart has hidden treasures in secrets kept and silence sealed.
1: Welcome you back to another episode of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzacco. I'm Ethan Maestri. This week we hit episode number 46, The Shards of Remney. You know, it's interesting a lot about this. Wait, what? What? What'd you just say? Hmm? The Shards of Remney. That's the episode title. I don't think that's what you said. Yeah, The Shards of Remney. That's what I said. That's totally not what I heard you say. It's written down right here. You sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So anyway, episode 46, The Shards of Um, We got a lot to talk about in this particular episode. Yeah, we do. And I'm ready for it. Yeah, okay. I'm just going to – I can't do this. I have to ask, what's with the (laughs) getup? Why? My
0: leather jacket and fedora? Yeah. I got my bullwhip right
1: here, man. Don't Don't don't. pretend like this is normal. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're going to make me ask – What's with the leather jacket, the bullwhip, and the fedora? What's I'm going on? Ready
0: for this adventure?
1: So you got we're like going a, on a quest. You got like an Indiana Jones things going on. Yeah, absolutely,
0: I'm, we're going on a quest, and I'm ready for it.
1: Okay, what's this? What? What, what are you looking for?
0: The search for plot.
1: Oh, okay,
0: and I think we might have. I think we might actually have one this week.
1: You're still mad about last week, aren't you? <laughs>
0: just just a little bit, <laughs> Pikito. Okay, Pikito. <laughs> All right, all right.
1: Well, I hope you find. Your plot this week, Ethan. I think we will. Let's go ahead and get to it. Absolutely. As the plot thickens here in Studio A. So, the Shards of Remny. Uh Let's go ahead and just get right to it then, Ethan. You have some uh,
0: trivia? I sure do. Uh, this episode was written, again, Bob Ingalls is credited with the writing on this, but he also is credited with, uh, well, also credited with Bob Ingalls here is Matt Keen. So, this is the first time we've seen this duo come together. For, uh, for writing of this episode. Now, we have a lot of guest stars. I don't know if you noticed that, Ryan, but we have a lot of guest stars this week. Okay. As opposed to last week when there were none. None at all. They were saving their money for the next several episodes. Okay. Uh, in this one, though, we have Sal Sortino, who plays Constantine. Now, he has TV appearances in Millennium, The Outer Limits, Fringe, and even a credit in the 2009 Watchmen film. Tyler McClendon, he plays the Commonwealth Officer No. 1, the one that makes the arrest on Dylan on the station. Fellenhof Drift, I believe it was. This appearance in Andromeda is the first of his TV and film career. He goes on to do a lot of other television, including shows like The 4400, my personal favorite, Eureka, uh, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, Smallville, and he plays the character Kenny Wraith in the Stargate Atlantis series. Now, Tim O'Halloran who played the off Jailer. He has uh, very limited uh, appearances in television, among them uh, appearances in The X-Files and The Outer Limits as well. Colin Corrigan plays Petter, uh, the fingerless gentleman that we see.
1: He's the Petter uh. Familius.
0: <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, he has appearances in The Twilight Zone, Stargate SG-1, Smallville, Stargate Atlantis, and plays the role of Alan Norwart through three seasons of Battlestar Galactica, the the rebooted series. We also have Scott Owen. He plays the Mater D that we see uh, briefly in there in the restaurant. He has appearances in Stargate SG-1, The Outer Limits, Millennium, film appearances in such films as Outlander, and Hobo with a Shotgun, as you might remember. But Ryan, we may remember him best from his credited role as Perp in Warehouse, from a 1992 episode of The The Commish. Commish? Yes, we have a Commish alum this week. All right. Very good. I think I remember that episode. (laughs) I'm sure you do. All of, what, eight years old? (laughs) I loved that show. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We've talked about it. We also now have Lawrence Bain. Now, he plays Abelard. Lawrence started his career appearing in, I thought you might appreciate this, Ryan, a Pink Floyd video. Learning to Fly. That is his first appearance. Uh, He has extensive voice acting in many animated series: X Men, Highlander, The Flash Gordon animated series of of the mid nineties. That list would become even more extensive into the two thousands in both animated TV series, film, and video games. More recently, he appears in the twenty fourteen episode of Warehouse thirteen, and has has, as of late, been appearing in a recurring role in the current television series Cardinal. Finally, Winston Record. Now, he plays the character Zeus in this episode. He has extensive television credits, beginning from the early 1970s, including the double-crossing Tok'ra Kordash in the Stargate SG-1 series. He plays in Battlestar Galactica and the spinoff Caprica series that came a few years later. But sadly, we lost Winston in 2012. And that's all I've got for our fun facts this week.
1: I have one little thing I'd like to add. What would you like to add? Well, I happened to notice when I was going over notes for this episode that it is production number 304. Ah, okay. But in the series, it is 302. So that means that the I went ahead and looked ahead. The next two episodes... Uh, so episodes 3 and 4 of season 3 were both filmed prior to this episode. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know, but just remember that. We'll see if maybe that has a bearing.
0: Let's see if there's anything that we can draw some parallels mm-hmm. to, to or with in the next couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's something to look for. Okay. Excellent that you bring that up now so that we can perhaps talk about it or completely forget it. In the coming weeks, (laughs) you know we've got
1: pins and a lot of things in this uh, in this show. I've noticed, yeah, and we don't ever go back to any of them.
0: When we say that, I wouldn't say never.
1: Well, absolutes are a bad thing. I know the absolutes are always wrong to use. (laughs) You should never use an absolute. I know that for sure, but. I do know there are an awful lot of times we say, we're going to put a pin in that and remember that and talk about it later, and we never do.
0: Well, I think when we say, let's put a pin in that, I think what we're saying is, if this is important enough, we're going to remember it and then come back to this conversation. This is starting to feel more like a production meeting. Let's move on. Okay. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and go
1: to the recap for episode 46, The Shards of Remni.
0: Mail call on the Andromeda. Harper plays with his new flying hoverboard. Becca inventories her new hollow novels, and Dylan... Well, Dylan gets a package, but he's cagey about it. He orders Harper to fire up the Maru and leaves Becca in charge. And if anyone asks, he didn't get the message that everyone clearly saw him receive. Dylan and Harper arrive at Felinoff Drift, where they find the contact, Constantine, who is already dead, just before the Commonwealth Security Guard walks in and sees the situation. They immediately arrest Dylan and Harper. While lamenting their incarceration and realizing that they have no hope of escape, a jailer shows up, hands them their clothes, and tells them that they can go clear their names. Not able to keep from looking a gift horse in the mouth, Dylan roughs up the guard to try and find out who paid him to let them go free. But the guard is unable to give them any other information, and they leave the drift. Chased by Commonwealth security forces. News of Dylan's arrest for murder arrives on Andromeda and Becca decides the best way to help is not help directly at all. They'll fly around for the rest of the episode and act as a lightning rod, attracting the attention of the Commonwealth security forces, which they do a cracking job of, all the while belittling the Commonwealth fleet and thumbing their noses at its officers and authority. Meanwhile, Harper and Dylan escape their Commonwealth pursuers and find Abelard, a crooked and talkative man that begins to clue us in on what this quest is all about, the Shards of Rimney. He has a shard, other associates have shards, and now he wants Dylan's shard. Why? We still don't know, but Dylan brings Abelard along with them. They chase, and get chased, across a few other planets before finally running into Zeus, one of Abelard's associates. Abelard acts like he's going to help Dylan, when in fact he's helping Zeus. Zeus thinks that he gets the upper hand on Dylan, Several fights ensue, and in the end, Zeus does get the drop on Dylan, but fails to shoot Dylan and take his shard, monologues instead, and then runs away in defeat as Abelard double-crosses Dylan. Abelard wants all the shards of the Vase of Remni. His associates had been waiting for the chance to get at Dylan and take his shard, one that Dylan had been holding onto for some 300 years, ever since a black ops mission for the Old Commonwealth, where the Vase of Remni was found broken, and the shards were distributed amongst the Black Ops team in order to keep them hidden and safe. Safe from the sort of power-seeking criminals that Abelard and Zeus represented. Abelard takes the last shard and assembles the pieces together, expecting the power and glory of the legendary vase of Rimni to be bestowed upon him. But nothing happens. Dejected, Abelard begins a diatribe that Andromeda is able to record and hand over to Commonwealth Authority. Thus, clearing Dylan of all guilt and delivering Abelard to justice. Back on the Maru, Dylan thanks Harper for his meritorious service and gives him a medal. The end.
1: Wow, Ethan, that summary was worthless.
0: Thank you, Ryan. I worked really hard on that <laughs> to to condense all <laughs> of the most moving parts into <laughs> oh, a simple summary. I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. It semantics. I meant. That summary was priceless.
0: Oh, potato, potato. It's potato. <laughs> oh well, okay. I thank you.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a compliment. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth.
0: Yeah, not like Dylan. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you told me, if you gave me my clothes and said, "Go clear your name," I'd be happy and walk out of the out of the jail cell. Right. Right. Not Dylan.
1: Well, that means that you're like Harper. Yes. I thought Harper was going to kiss him.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they really had no way out, mm-hmm. as Harper pointed out.
1: Yeah, they went to great lengths to make sure that we knew they were not getting out of this, you know, without some Deus Ex Machina.
0: Wow. Pulled out the Latin, huh? I think it's Greek. Is it Greek? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know Zeus, so right, it's got to right, be Greek, right? Yeah. What's Constantine? That's that's Roman. Yeah, that's Latin. Latin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Ryan, the frigates. Yeah, that's going to be my favorite new euphemism. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. I, I can see that. I can okay. see that. Now, my question about the frigates is: How did a Commonwealth force of three frigates jump the Maru? when Dylan had just said that Commonwealth security wouldn't arrive for another three days. Plot. I see. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? I don't know.
1: Well, you know <laughs> I just, it, it, It's not your fault, because the writers of Andromeda forgot about it last week.
0: Yes. So Yes, they did. Okay. I, I just thought that was funny that you hear they're sitting in their jail cell, we've got three days to think about this. Mm-hmm. Three minutes later, yeah, <laughs> they're they're running back to the Maru. They get on board, they fly off, and there's three frigates chasing them down. That seems like Commonwealth security forces showed up awfully quick.
1: Well, is that security forces or is that just uh, people on the station that were like, "Oh crap,
0: <laughs> we
1: dropped the ball. This is our heads."
0: Well, somebody go after they them. they did they not? I well, okay, I'll I'll take your explanation on that. I'm not going to go too far into it. It was just a minor quib.
1: That's incredible. okay, because it actually leads into my next point. Okay, go for it. Was nobody guarding the Maru?
0: <laughs> Apparently not. I can
1: understand <laughs> a guard it gets paid off to let them out, but how do they just walk into the shipyard, get on the Maru, and take off out of there?
0: Yeah, what is the in 3,000 years, what's the equivalent of the, uh, the wheel locks? <laughs> is yeah. that pretty much all the, the boot re- Yeah, the boot yeah. <laughs> What is it, the bar that you yeah, put on your steering? The club. Wheel? The club. Uh-huh. The club, yeah. Wow, all these uh security references. Um what's the equivalent to that three thousand years in the future? I think it's the boot and the club. And the club. Yeah. And apparently it's just as easy to break through. Well,
1: they're probably all electronic in some way. Which
0: Harper could just jack right into. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't... You know what? They saved us the trouble of that scene. Yeah, because we really already saw
1: it, didn't we? Yeah, we kind of did mm-hmm. when they broke in.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Otherwise it's just, oh, this again.
0: Harper's, you know, plugging Har- something yeah. into his
1: neck. That cold open was just full of... Uh, of- Twentieth twentieth century pop references was it not? Uh, I, pop yes, it culture was. Ref- yeah, I yes, mean. it was. Um, first of all, it appears that um, Rami is still on AOL. <laughs> yes, because she's You've got mail. The-
0: yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I totally missed that reference. Oh, really? That one blew th- blew right by. Yeah, blew right past me. Oh, I couldn't get past it. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Um. So apparently, Harper's not the only one that remembers 20th century references.
1: Well, he, he, Harper also built Rami. So, true. Maybe he made sure that was in there.
0: That's true. hmm.
1: Hoverboard. Obvious. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> obvious. I mean, that's just, let's just rip that one right off, shall we? <laughs> let's not even give it a different
0: name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, let's use the same yeah. the same uh, line rig that they used in Back to the Future 2, right?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. It takes me back. And you know Harper loved it, too. Oh, absolutely. Because Harper's looking at this thing, and he's not thinking, wow, look at this. Awesome piece of recreational advanced technology. He's thinking, "Look at this thing from Back to the Future, too." <laughs> right, because you know Harper knows about Back to the Absolutely. Future. Absolutely,
0: he probably has watched it within the last six months. He probably <laughs> was watching it when he ordered the thing. Yeah, to come to the ship, you know. And he gets it out, and he's like, "Oh, how it was It was an impulse buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this. Is this is more a production? Quibble than anything. All right. I loved, and and I and I, I want to know if you noticed this when they're looking at the headshot of the guy that was murdered mm-hmm. in the, the holographic. So the the camera is yeah. Constantine, right? I, I, well, yeah, it was Constantine. When mm-hmm. when they have him, the camera spinning around, or, or or his head is spinning around, his headshot spinning around. Yeah. Did you notice his eyes? Yeah. The actor could not keep them focused in one <laughs> spot. Is that what was going on? I I think so. I think they just sat him in an office chair with a camera in front of him and just spun him around, but they didn't tell him, look, don't focus on anything.
1: Well, it was a very jerky eye movement.
0: Yeah, because Mm -hmm. he's focusing on points, and he's going from point to point to point. Yeah, he's keeping his eyes constantly shifting back and forth. He has
1: shifty eyes.
0: Well... Maybe that was a trait. Maybe
1: we didn't get to see him really alive. <laughs> that is so true. This is all we know about. He was this faced character. down
0: in a pool of blood. Right. The first time we saw him, Yeah, and
1: drawing pictures with his blood.
0: Cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. At least he had enough time for that.
0: But anyway, I, I just thought that was funny because I could totally see that being just a. All right, we need you to sit in this office chair while we spin you around, <laughs> and we're going to just take you know fifteen twenty seconds of this so we can use some footage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he's where he should have just been staring blankly so that it looked like just a hollow image, a still shot hollow image, just giving a 3D projection. No, his eyes are shifting <laughs> as he's focusing on things spinning around him in the room. <laughs> I thought it was funny.
1: Yeah, it was distracting. Uh, something that I'm really either impressed by or concerned about. I'm not sure it could go either way. Is the amount of 20th century technology that makes it 3000 years into the future. Okay. Um so first of all, Harper picks up a finger with a crescent wrench. An adjustable crescent wrench.
0: Right, right.
1: Um Sorry, it it appears that I may have stepped on something that you were going to bring No, go for it, because I'll just roll it right in here. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, it just seems odd to me, because it's not like a fancy space crescent wrench. It is a Ace Hardware.
0: (laughs) It it isn't as if hard... I'm trying to think how how I want to word this. It, It would have made more sense to hear, at some point, Harper say, Bring me a Hydro Spanner. We know a hydrospanner is just gobbledygook for, you know, some space toy mm-hmm. or space tool. Yeah. I'm just sitting there thinking along the same lines you are, oh, he just carries a a, a, <laughs> a run-of-the-mill 20th century adjustable wrench rhythm <laughs> mm-hmm. at all times. Right.
1: <laughs> um, I'm not sure that they have these adjustable wrenches because I'm not sure that 3,000 years from now we still have um, mechanical fasteners.
0: Nuts and bolts, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I think this tool is completely obsolete,
0: <laughs> <laughs> unless you happen to be in need of picking up a, uh, a, a an odd finger, right? Yeah, is that what it's for? Then three thousand years
1: from now, is just picking up severed fingers. It
0: made an unusual, and I'm sure the the narrative history on this is fascinating. Okay, but it made an odd transition from engineering or mechanical tool. To medical diagnostic equipment.
1: Wow, I am terrified of the future now. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, you should be.
1: <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't think that uh, we're going to have mechanical fasteners three thousand years. I don't think we're even. I don't think we're even going to have them three hundred years in the future. Yeah. Uh, I was just recently this weekend. I was at a, a trade conference, and I was talking with a young gentleman who is a engineer for somebody and he was telling me about the the this is technology that we already have it's just not it's just not that common yet about the their their use with magnets and it was totally fascinating and basically what it is is they're able to program magnets now uh, much like you would a microchip very very tiny little precision poles and everything. You got your north south neutrals and all this stuff, and you pair them together. And depending on how you configure them, they can uh, they can obviously attract or repel or have a neutral or somewhere in between. All depending on how you set the magnet. So for example, you have these two magnets that are that are attracted to each other, right? and then you turn it like an eighth of a turn and it lets go. Wow. And he says that they they could they could hold a sheer force of like 4000 pounds,
0: which is a lot more than some bolts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, steel bolts. I mean, it's 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 incredible. Yeah. Um not only can they do this they they can also configure them so that it's like a combination of attraction and repellent so that you can actually suspend something. <laughs> Depending on how you set it up, you can suspend it like an inch or six inches or whatever. I mean, yeah.
0: I'm thinking like shock absorbers. And- All right. So, so we're doing this in the year 2017. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that, that engineering uh, minds are coming up with in order to stick things together. Yeah. In the non-conventional ways that we've been used to for the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. Beyond, beyond right. 200 years. Uh, the nail, the screw, the bolt, mm-hmm. the nut, all of those things are now not antiquated, not yet, but we see it on the horizon. Yeah, they could be... That's really cool. So and, and so, and so, thinking about it in the context of this television show, it mm-hmm. aired in October of 2002. That's not even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's what, 15 years ago. Yeah. 15 years ago now, that not even, that this episode aired. <laughs> and We've got this depiction of Harper holding an adjust, a very large adjustable wrench, like he <laughs> he could pick up this finger and tweak the plumbing, right? You know, <laughs> and and yet here here you're saying we're already we're already advancing beyond that mm-hmm. with magnetics and strong forces and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. So another bit of twentieth uh, century technology that makes it three thousand years, or I don't know if it's the technology or just the name brand or, or what's going on. Um, there's, there's two ways of looking at this before I say this, there's two ways of looking at it, how this could play out. And I got to say either way, I am extremely impressed. IBM monitors make it 3000 years <laughs> into the future. Yeah. Yeah. So either they are that durable that they will last for three thousand years plus, or the company IBM itself is going to last three thousand years.
0: Making no noticeable advancement. Well, from, no. From turn of the century. Turn of the twentieth <laughs> yeah. century technology. Well, if
1: it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. I mean yeah. they're still using the crescent wrench. Why would why would D V <laughs> monitors be any different?
0: You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. No, I didn't notice that. That would, speaking of production issues yeah. <laughs> why couldn't you put a piece of black tape over that
1: it really could have been easy couldn't
0: it it could have mm-hmm. it
1: could have that's so dark you probably you never would have, have noted- even seen that. exactly especially in it standard division
0: it would have St- been less noticeable than leaving the silver ibm logo <laughs> <laughs> in plain sight <laughs> absolutely hey ryan what are, you, what are you doing after the show here after we record here um, I'm not sure. I, how maybe about I'd... how about you let me take you out to the the local uh, eating establishment? Okay, and let's get some warm sponge salad. That sounds delicious, doesn't it? Though mm. it kind of turns my stomach mm-hmm. just saying it.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember this. It's pretty much about the same time SpongeBob SquarePants was out. Yeah, when this came. Yeah, out, he right? was. Yeah, yeah. SpongeBob
0: yeah. had been, been going for uh, three, four years. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, is that, is that a SpongeBob reference? Maybe. Mm. Maybe we're Oof. we're wanting to get rid
0: of SpongeBob. Maybe so. He needs to be hunted
1: <laughs> and eaten.
0: Uh, possibly. Yeah. That would be interesting. An interesting question to ask of the mm. person that came up with warm sponge salad. Warm sponge
1: salad. Just,
0: <laughs> why do they have to make it warm? I know. Yeah. I know. That's a, it, it stands to reason that it could have been better cold.
1: I think I've heard somewhere that sponge salad is a dish best served cold.
0: Nice turn of, re- of uh, turn of a reference there. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Is that a term? Turn of a reference.
1: It is now. It is now. <laughs> yes, it is. Hey, speaking of that, uh, that same restaurant scene. Pie in the
0: face. Man, we pulled out. We pulled out, pulled out a lot of stuff from the twentieth century, yeah, I mean that was that was quality entertainment in the early twentieth century, yes it was and and now here in the early twenty first depicting the early what century is it three thousand from now mm-hmm. um I'm not good at the math, so I'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna think about that, but yeah, so here we are with the uh the old pie in the face reference um you know, I like a good pie in the face. I grew up on cartoons. Mm-hmm. That was a staple. yep. Uh, I don't know it it didn't it didn't fit mm-hmm. uh, i'm just I'm just saying right now my observation of it <laughs> uh
1: maybe if it hadn't been so planned out because you know he ordered that pie purely for the intention of putting it in someone's face. Yes, now did he know whose face it was going to be? Maybe he thought it was going to be Zeus. Maybe so. But then big guy walked up behind him and he said, okay, you're getting the pie in the face. Yeah. Um, kind of on, on that same line, you know, big guy walking up behind him. And Zeus gives him all of the threats about how you try anything <laughs> and I got people that are going to step in. They're going to take care of you. Yeah. All I can say is
0: Zeus needs some new people because his people <laughs> suck. Yeah, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, it's hard to hire good goons, though.
1: Yeah, I guess I mean, so. that's,
0: that's you know, speaking of old tropes, that is the ultimate trope, is when you're a villain and you got to hire a posse, you know your money's not good enough to get the best. Yeah. It's never good enough to get good goons. So. Well, he shouldn't have talked him up so much. He shouldn't have. Because you know that just encouraged Dylan. But, you know, here here we're kind of getting into the characters, what we learned about them. Zeus. um. It's obvious that he talked a big game. That was basically how he, he made his way in the in the universe. Mm-hmm. So maybe he knew his goons were worthless and he was just trying to cow Dylan down. It seems like that's really how he handled all of his situations was trying to talk Dylan down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say for instance, you know, when you're holding the gun to Dylan's head, you know? I mentioned it in the summary. He had Dylan in the spot. If he just pulled the trigger, they could have lifted the shard off of his body and gone about their business. But what did he do instead? He monologued. Yes. And things went badly. As any great villain will do. Yeah. So, this is what I take away from this. If you're a villain, don't hire goons. You're not going to be able to trust them. They're worthless. They're not worth the money that you're paying.
1: Are they worthless or
0: priceless? <laughs> They're worthless. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> and if you're a villain, learn not to talk so much. I mean, yeah. that's vitally important. When you've got the drop on somebody, take the advantage. Don't talk about it.
1: <laughs> I got a question for you. Sort of a production thing. Okay. Just quick question.
0: Split screen. Yes or no? Um, it's funny because that's that's the next thing I have on my... On my notes here, All right. split screen action. Mm-hmm. We got a taste of it in the season opener, and we didn't talk about it during that that particular episode uh, last time when we talked. And here we see it again, um, quite a bit more uh, up front. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, was it just split screen, or did they have four screens going at one point? Mm, I think it was just two. It was it just two? Okay, mm-hmm. that's right. I don't like it. I don't see the. I don't see the reason for it. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yes, the bad guy is running through the woods. Yes, uh what's his name? Um Pet uh not Petter. Um
1: Peter Familius?
0: <laughs> Abelard. Abelard. Mm-hmm. Abelard, uh obviously he's uh, doing his own thing. I, I don't I don't see the reason for seeing both sides of the action.
1: Wouldn't it have been just as easy to just cut scene? Cut back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um here's the problem that I have with this. Which which scene do you look at? Which one are you supposed to focus on? Because um, unlike most people out there in the world, I had the wonderful privilege of being able to watch this episode four or five times. Okay? And it took about at least two times to see what was going on in those scenes. Right. And there, there are things that you miss the first time. I'm, this is just me. The first time around, I'm focusing more on what's going on in Dylan's scene. Right? Because that's kind of where a little bit more of the action is. You got the the scary guy sneaking up behind him, and there's all the action. And the other guy just kind of seems to be sitting there. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Until you watch it again, and then you see the part where he's looking around nervously and sets the shard down next to him. I missed that the first
0: time. Okay. Now... I gotta wonder... Hold on, let me ask you. Okay. Did you miss anything by missing that little detail the first time through?
1: Um, Maybe not, but it was something that they apparently wanted us to see, or they wouldn't have put it on the screen,
0: right? Yeah. Okay. Let's say yes.
1: I mean, because he puts that shard down next to him on the hay bale, or whatever he's sitting on, (laughs) and... But he's doing that right when there's action going on in the other scene.
0: Yes, You're which is, uh, and he's obviously hearing it because he's mm-hmm. looking around. I, I hear something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Short answer: No. I I thought it was uh, it was it was useless and actually kind of distracting.
0: You say useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say it was pointless. I mean, I think it was done as an artistic expression. Maybe. That being said. There's no point to it. It is pointless. Mm -hmm. If you if you there is something that needs to be seen that is happening simultaneously, you're absolutely right. Cut back, cut back. We're used to that in Mm -hmm. television. Cut back to one scene, then cut back to the other. We can put it together in our minds that these things are happening concurrently. Mm -hmm. The split screen for me just it didn't work last week, or the last with the, the the season premiere episode. And it only showed up very briefly, and that's, I think, why we ended up not talking about it. This episode, it's just annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't appreciate it. Uh, another sort of a
1: production complaint. Is it just me, or did you think that this episode, the Andromeda itself, looked particularly plastic in some scenes?
0: Like the exterior shots? Yes. Yeah. Um, not, it didn't stand out to me that way. No.
1: Okay. Well, there's some, for some reason it jumped out at me this time.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, I happen to know what type of TV you have. It, and it operates at a very high resolution rate in comparison to the one that I have. So I'm wondering if maybe you're seeing maybe just the limitations of the footage Versus the technology that you're actually observing it on.
1: It could be. I've had people tell me that my TVs ruined movies for them. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm wondering if that's that maybe is what, what you noticed. Okay. Because I didn't particularly notice anything different with the exterior shots. Hmm. Um, I thought they looked pretty much on par with what we've already seen in the, the last two seasons. Okay.
1: So maybe they've always looked plastic and I've just never noticed.
0: Yeah. I, I would have to go back and look at it with a critical eye and maybe see if, if maybe I can pick out what you're seeing. Okay. Because it did seem like they had some new shots of the exterior. Mm-hmm. Um, just nothing about them in particular stood out to me in regards to the way the ship looked. Okay. <clears throat> um,
1: wouldn't it be awesome to have a talking gun to tell you when you're out of ammo?
0: We've talked about that before. We have talked. About we have this talked before. About it. Yes, we have. Yep. And it would be awesome. And we have it again. Yes, we do. Um, I, I forget what he does immediately. Oh, he just starts throwing punches immediately after, doesn't yeah, he? Sure, that's what you. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he immediately goes into jujitsu mode. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, it would be cool. Although I think it's just as easy to have it emit a sound, like click. Yeah. <laughs> something yeah something along those lines or a right. short or you know something like okay. you know you you know okay it's, it's yeah it's, it's, it's
1: got to be spacey
0: yeah yeah exactly okay. hey, but hey i like that sound effect can i go back and cut that because yeah i could use that somewhere i did yeah. a pretty good job there's with that probably
1: one. a bit in the future that we can use that for absolutely okay all right if we ever have another firefight here in the in the studio <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's been a while it's happened it's happened, it's happened. <laughs> things <laughs> escalated
1: Yeah. Uh, your weapon is empty. All right, so what do you say we talk about a little bit about the uh, the universe and some of the things that we uh, learned, some of the things that happened in this episode that you might want to
0: discuss? Yeah, I actually, uh, let's talk about the vase of uh, the, the Voss. Right. If you want to go with that, potato, potato. It's it's potato. <laughs> <laughs> well, which is it, vase or Voss?
1: will uh, see, that's up to you. I don't know.
0: Okay. Look, I want to. I don't. I want to make this sound uh, very sophisticated. We'll go with Voss. Okay. The Voss of Rimni. Is it Voss or Vaz? Vos? <laughs> See cuz even Vos there. Of, okay, we'll go Vaz. The Vaz of Rimni. I
1: think if we keep true to the to the to the episode, it's it's the Vaz of Rimni. The
0: Vaz of Rimni. Okay. You know, we've spent like 40 seconds of this show talking about Vase, Vaz or Voss. Mhm. Which I think speaks volumes about what we learned from this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, that's a side point. Sidebar. Uh, back to the vase of Rimni. I thought it was... Uh, actually, it is is part of a plot device. I thought this was actually pretty cool. We've seen this before in the Andromeda universe, where you have these antiquities, these these treasures mm-hmm. throughout the known areas of space, the three galaxies. Mm-hmm. And here's one that shows up. That becca isn't hunting for, <laughs> 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 which seems highly unusual, but uh-huh. in any case, here we have the vase of Rimney, which is supposed to be- bestow great power and glory upon her I would the say she's probably
1: it. looked for it at some time
0: and, and realized well, this thing disappeared three hundred years ago, mm-hmm. mm, maybe so,,
1: huh, um, so did Dylan, <laughs>
0: <laughs> perhaps she knew all along, yeah um. But no, as far as a plot device, I, I thought this was actually a really cool uh, trinket, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 go after. Um, and actually, the the backstory for Dylan and how he obtained his piece of the the, the Voss, mm-hmm. I thought was actually kind of a cool thing. I would love to have seen some, maybe some flashbacks of that episode. That would have been interesting. Yeah, uh, or of that that mission as it was taking well, place. Well, I think we did. In uh, forced perspective. Huh. You, yep. th-
1: you think that was tied together? Admiral Stark. Right, right. Put together a special ops crew, sent him in to assassinate a dictator. People died. It got messy. Sounds a lot like Mobius. Holy cow. But they weren't
0: there to retrieve the the Voss, were they?
1: No, that was just a happy accident, I think.
0: Oh, so you think their, they just kind of tied all of this their together? Their assignment was to go in... And and take out the dictator. dictator. That's right. You're right. Uh Wow, I totally did not make that connection.
1: Well, that's okay. I didn't until the fifth time I watched it.
0: (laughs) How many times did you watch this episode? I think I've seen it four times. See? See? If I'd have gone five. That's the problem right there. I would have gotten it after five. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that's totally cool. I did not think about that, though. And um, now that you mention that, you're, it, it fits. Yeah, and that's
1: actually the second time, I believe, that is the second time that this episode showed that Andromeda remembers itself as a series.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because we also had the
1: uh, the callback to uh, all, all great Neptune's ocean.
0: Well, that's become... Like every <laughs> anytime they deal with the Commonwealth fleet, the Castalians are there.
1: Well, but I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The fish people. But I'm talking about uh, Tier go looking over the evidence and saying, "Oh yeah, oh, this is a slam dunk case. There's no yeah, no one getting out of this."
0: You're right. And Becca reminds him, you know, you got caught in the same trap. Right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. No, mm-hmm. this was this was fantastic as far as. Um, as far as as you say, the mm-hmm. series remembering itself, right? Uh, and as as you and I have talked about in the past, we like it when a series is able to do that. Sure. Now, I, I, I did remember that that reference when when Tyr does go into mm-hmm. that about Slam Dunk case. Um, and, and you're right, yeah that that was a good nod mm-hmm. to to previous stories that have been told in the series. Wow this this one that you're laying out there for the uh, the Mobius mission. That's just that's really cool i I, I make that head canon. see if it's not real yeah. it's it is now drive back the night <laughs> Canon. see, I'm kind of surprised that you missed that one because you have an interest in Mobius
1: for some reason i I did you, you've you've called that back several times I
0: have yes well, there were a lot of interesting things that happened in the air quotes present. The, the In the Andromeda universe mm-hmm. with trance being there and the things that happened it was an interesting episode mm-hmm. but as we have continued on there hasn't been a whole lot to remember about Mobius anyway i I'm, I'm sorry I totally derailed that
1: conversation big time but I thought it was a very interesting side point um back to the vase itself yes I kind of I interrupted your your train of thought there
0: well no I was just going to say it was an interesting um Plot point. Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting backstory uh, that that got reintroduced to us mm-hmm. in this episode. Uh, I, I just thought it. We, I don't want to get too far ahead, but uh, here, here I'm going to say, for a story with a plot that had a lot not working for it, I think they got it right with this this vase, this mm-hmm. boss um, Vos. I thought it was really cool. Voss,
1: it—you it, it, you tried it twice. And I you still tried, got it. Wrong. I, still, <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, I, I didn't think there was a wrong way of saying it. <laughs> oh, you hypocrite! For
1: the purposes of this episode, there is there are two wrong ways of saying it. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: so uh, in in any case, I really liked the, the Voss of Remney and mm-hmm. the the history that it brought to this episode.
1: Yeah, and again, they did a good job of making it. Um, a universal thing. I mean, even Harper knows about this thing. There's apparently a nursery rhyme about this thing. Yeah, yeah. It really does make you wonder why Beck is not out looking for it.
0: <laughs> Maybe she didn't hear that nursery rhyme. You know, Maybe so, so. She had a different childhood than Harper. Harper didn't have a great childhood either. No, 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 no. You got to figure with a with three galaxies worth of worlds. And as big as the Commonwealth was, and the other alien races, monocultures that inhabited or, or ruled various parts of this this universe, you gotta figure that there are more relics like this that haven't been heard of by most of the human population. Mm-hmm. And it's just—I thought it was pretty cool that here's something that Becca didn't know about. But in the end, what power did this vase have? Yeah um
1: this was my next note that i was gonna i was gonna bring that around to um when abelard does finally put the last piece and i know this isn't exactly where you were going with that question but i think this is kind of a preface to that when abelard finally puts that last piece of the vase together and he's just he's completely deflated what did he expect was going to happen all we know is that it, what did it, what it say? It, it gives the, the sympathy of the cosmos to whoever possesses it, uh, bringing them power and riches and it's basically glory. whatever they yeah. want, right? Yeah. So what? does Even if it does work in that way, does that mean that it has to glow or float <laughs> or something? <laughs> I know. Is but, it going to start singing? What, what yeah, was- that
0: was my sense, was that he was expecting some sort of all-embracing light. <laughs> to, to quote Tear from the previous yeah, episode, okay, you know, yeah. something warm and glowing and fuzzy was going to envelop him, and right. he was going to feel the power or the sympathy of the universe, or whatever that the description was for that. And the fact that nothing happened in that moment
1: mm-hmm.
0: was just extremely disappointing to him. Right? As I think it would be for anyone that had hyped this Voss mm-hmm. for years. And had see had sought, spent their life trying to put it together, and then once it's together, you have well a voss mm-hmm. <laughs> that does absolutely nothing.
1: But that he didn't give it a chance. True. I mean he should have just put it together, wrapped it up, put put it in his backpack, and left. And now let's see what happens. Is the fact that it doesn't glow or sing evidence that it's useless? That's that's my that's my whole problem with this.
0: Right, but I, I think I think what that does is just highlight the short sightedness of Abelard and his cronies and and his associates. Okay. They were they were fully expecting some miraculous thing to happen. It didn't matter who of them put it put it together or if they had all been in the room together, they would have all been disappointed that nothing happened because they're so short sighted.
1: Well, you could put Harper on that list too. That is true, because he was ducking under the table, not literally, but
0: yeah, he was hiding. He was afraid. He was afraid. So, so I come back to that question that I yeah. asked: Did it have a power? Is mm-hmm. is Dylan still hiding something about its power? It had. It had the power that
1: every great MacGuffin has. <laughs> Ah so it definitely so it, was a it definitely had power yeah um did it have power as far as uh bestowing the sympathy of the universe upon its possessor well it doesn't appear to um although I have to say
0: Dylan was pretty keen on keeping it
1: wasn't he yes, he was,
0: yes he was. That's why I'm asking, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, does he appreciate or understand something about it beyond just having the five uh, shards put together?
1: Yeah, see, now we're starting to dance around um, character discussion.
0: Okay, okay. So, do you want to move on to that? Um, do you have- well, the next thing, the only other thing that I had to bring out was regarding characters, tier, and the uh, dynamic with Harper and Dylan, so. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, nothing really about the universe, and... Okay,
1: well, so let's let's segue this this same topic and move it to the character discussion on Dylan. Okay, because what we have is Dylan, who has this one piece that everybody else needs. We're supposed to understand that Dylan holds no regard for the mystic power that this thing is supposed to have. At least that's what he tells us. Right. That's what he tells Harper. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yet he still goes on this extremely dangerous, potentially deadly mission. In fact, he knows that they're out to get him. He's putting his life on the line for this thing that doesn't matter at all. Right. Or so he says. He could have just stayed on the Andromeda and not ever gone to face those guys. I mean from the time he he lands on that drift or that station wherever uh Constantine was right i mean he walks in the door force lands out yes he's ready to fight he knows there's some bad stuff going down and that's what that's what triggers this whole thing that's what set him up for the uh for the being framed for the murder and then the double murder you know everything that happens is all because he took the bait Right.
0: Why did he take the bait? It, if he thought there was nothing of any ephemeral value mm-hmm. beyond it just being a important piece of pottery. Yeah. I mean, is he just a an enthusiastic archaeologist now? <laughs> uh. Yeah. No. That's a that's a very valid uh, and, and interesting observation you make about Dylan. I tend to believe that he he understands there is a an unquantifiable power to having that relic. Obviously obviously it was important to uh the 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 dictator on Mobius, right? Well, yeah. If that's where indeed where they got it.
1: Apparently, I mean, he had a belief system
0: um
1: or did he just have it? Was it just part of his vast collection? You know, we don't even know that. Yeah, that's it. We true. don't know why he had it. Was it just part of his collection and it was still something that just had that lore about it, whether he believed it worked for him or not, it was just, he just had it. Yeah. And then when they go in take him out, they find it. Um maybe they foresee that there's going to be thousands, millions of goons coming looking for it. So that's why they decide to take the shards was it already in shards or did they break it up
0: i think they said that they found it in pieces
1: okay so then it's no good to this dictator anyway
0: well my understanding was in the taking out the dictator it got broken that's kind of the way i understood the story as he was telling it in the course of their mission it, it got broken they realized its importance and they split up the shards amongst the the team okay so all they right. don't really ever answer, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I, and even then I don't know why they go through go to such great lengths to keep it, hmm. um, keep it, but keep it separated. Right, right. I mean, if it is something that's that important, then it belongs in a museum, maybe exposed to the entire. As Indiana Jones
0: has said, "See, it said. all comes back, yeah. doesn't it?" it does. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And it was but set up on display, exposed to the whole universe, that this is an ancient relic, but it does nothing.
0: you know I mean wouldn't that it seems like it would be an excellent tool for Dylan to use in order to you know help the the people of this unenlightened galaxy or galaxies understand better that you know some of the lore that you put behind certain objects doesn't really mean anything. So, if you learn to kind of let that go and get along with your fellow aliens, you know, things mm-hmm. will be better for you. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Except the fact that Dylan keeps it.
0: Yeah, he does keep it. And I don't know what to make of that.
1: Well, his explanation is it's a symbol for the Commonwealth. Different, different, all the different pieces of the universe of three galaxies coming together to form one beautiful vase Of government <laughs> And military
0: might And it was a beautiful piece of acrylic, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you mean it wasn't glass? I don't think so Oh, okay yeah. So
1: Harper was never in any real danger when he had it
0: to his jugular <laughs> <laughs> No
1: that or, also or, probably, or carrying
0: it around in his pants, right. the pieces of it. Either. That
1: probably also explains why um, it didn't shatter into more shards when Harper was banging it around on the table. <laughs> exactly. I'm, ex- I'm waiting for Dylan to say, um, you might want to be careful with that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. So anyway, yeah, the shards of Rimney, the vase of Rimney. Um... Yeah, I don't know that Dylan actually, I, I don't know what to think about what Dylan believes about the, the Voss. I think maybe sometimes people just,
1: uh, they don't really know if they believe, but they're going to keep the stuff around just in case.
0: Yeah. So, Dylan's a pack rat, then. You
1: never know when you're going to need a Voss of Remny.
0: Until it comes to metals. He's just given those things out all willy-nilly. <laughs> <laughs> he has he has no sentimental attachment to any of those things.
1: You know what? Is he really? Because apparently this is the first one he's given out in over 300 years. Well, he gave one to Becca, though. Okay, I, I, I didn't think this was the first one he had given out.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. I was going to say, we have seen him give out his medals before. Okay. Did he say this is the first one he's given out? Um, I I don't know that he said that because I, that I would have okay. picked up on
1: okay maybe maybe I'm just putting words in his mouth then but here the thing that struck me was he's this is something that he missed doing in the old Commonwealth was giving out medals for someone going above and beyond the whatever it was that he, his his whole big speech to Harper and. I'm just saying. I'm glad that Tear wasn't in the room when this happened, <laughs> because how many times has Tear almost got himself killed in order to protect the rest of the crew? Right.
0: <laughs> no medals for Tear.
1: Harper steps <laughs> up one time, yeah. you know, and it's like you get a medal. Yeah. You know, it, it, I guess it goes when when something is expected it's just expected yeah
0: that's that that's a good point that's a good point would would tier have it appreciated a medal given by Dylan to him as much as Harper
1: okay well see I was thinking of it from the other point of view or I was f- from the other side though of of um Dylan just expecting tear to do these things
0: ah okay yeah I see that it's
1: if it's expected of him
0: he does it and no big deal because it was expected. Right. I, I I was just thinking of it from the point of Tear almost always acts meritoriously. I mean, he goes above and beyond because yeah. that's just in, in his nature. Yeah. Whether it's self-motivated or for the good of the group that he's with. He's always, he has always done the best job that he can do. Right. So in that sense, it's expected of him to do so. So giving him a medal really doesn't mean a whole lot to him. He's just doing what he does. For Harper, though, we have seen him cower mm-hmm. and, and and run away from a fight. But as Dylan brought out, he was willing to take a bullet for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he stepped up in a big way for this episode. I thought it was really cool to see the dynamic between Dylan and Harper kind of get a good shot in the arm. Yeah. Because it, Harper was, has always been the the joker in the yep. room, right? And, that, and that's how Dylan kind of treated him. Right. Relied he's on him for his expertise. The guy
1: we got to put up with because he's freaky smart. Yes.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. But here we actually got to see kind of the the dynamic between the two go beyond, you know, ship captain and engineer and, you know, get it done and get it done as quickly as possible. Now it was... Be my comrade, come with me on this adventure, and let's see how you do and And When Harper steps up, Dylan's like, "Good job, boy. Pat on the head, and here's your medal. You know, I don't
1: want to impugn anything on um Gordon Michael Wolvett. Harper was really whiny, especially through the first and middle part of this episode, about how he he's always left out of everything, yeah, all the good stories he gets left out, right. I wonder if maybe this was a little bit of uh, art imitating life. Maybe the actor, Gordon Michael Wolvet, was whining about how he always got left out of all the good plots,
0: all the good stories. So maybe they got him in interjected into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. We haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. Yeah, and, and Yeah. And if
1: we do, I think we should probably not ask him that question. You don't think <laughs> so? So were you whining a lot on set? <laughs> hey, let's put a pin in this. Okay, and we'll come back. All to right, it. put a pin in that. But going back to the, it, it was really neat to see to finally see them work together, and it's just them without anybody else kind of running buffer in between them. I do kind of wonder why Dylan took Harper, because really the. Only single thing that Harper did that nobody else could have done was use the data port in his neck to open the door. Right. I mean, Tyr could have rigged it with explosives and got in. True. Or there's other ways to get in a door. Yeah. You know? But as far as I can remember, that is really the only thing. That Harper did that was useful that nobody else could have done.
0: Yeah, because he didn't hack the drone that was standing guard <laughs> around the door. He, he, he couldn't find a way out of the prison cell. Uh huh. Um, he was almost useless in a fight. So, yeah, you're right. The mm. only thing he actually successfully did was open the door to the dead guy.
1: If he hadn't got out his breakdancing moves, then he would have been completely useless.
0: That was a sweet move, though. It was I mean, good. he scissor-legged the guy.
1: Well, even Dylan had to stay, take a step back. Yes. And he's like... He acknowledged. He's like, oh. He's like, I'm giving All that right. kid a medal when we get back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just think Tyr could have done a lot better job in that He'd fight. have certainly been faster.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, no bone plates. I, I wonder how much that's reduced his efficiency in hand-to-hand combat.
1: Wow. I mean, how much of a hit is that to Tyr's ego?
0: All of a sudden, he
1: loses his claws, and now Dylan doesn't want to take him on missions anymore. Ooh.
0: Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know
1: what? We're going to do some uh, a little bit of combat scenario, and then we'll see how you do.
0: <laughs> before we take you back out. Which In the
1: meantime, of- I'm taking Harper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's harsh. Yeah. That's harsh. Which kind of brings me around to... Tear's behavior on the ship. Okay. Tyr really likes thumbing his nose with authority. Yeah. yeah. Is this him acting out? Well, I don't have the spikes, so I'm going to hit them with some really hard jabs, <laughs> verbal jabs. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, because I think Tyr, he
1: does the same thing when he has them.
0: That's true. Yeah. That's true. But this, this kind of sets up the, the point that I wanted to get at. Okay, it, It's kind of about the whole crew. You know, We've spent two years now trying to put together the New Systems Commonwealth, and the 50 Worlds Charter is now signed. Uh, great, wonderful. A week and a half later, Dylan's being accused of murder just at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. No investigations taking place. It's open and shut case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crew is dissing the Commonwealth fleet that obviously wants to find Dylan. Um, wow, that was a short honeymoon. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there, there was no honeymoon. <laughs> really, I no. don't remember
0: a honeymoon at all. <laughs>
1: because it's signed the charter, attacked by aliens from another dimension, um, and then now all of a sudden this. Yeah. There, yeah, you're right. There was there was absolutely no time. When did they even put together that Commonwealth fleet with all the, the miniature Andromeda ships? Slip fighters. Those were slip fighters. I know, but I like to call them miniature, <laughs> miniature Andromeda ships. Andromeda ships, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Because, I mean, look at them. Uh, yeah. They're the Andromeda, but miniature. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It was a huge, a very fast turnaround. I don't understand why they immediately went to the, well, we have, we have this power that we wanted to establish, this government that we wanted to establish, and now let's immediately make it suspect. Mm-hmm. Let's let's make it the bad guy. You know, kind of an over, or an overarching... It feels like an overarching bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt like that was really too soon for that to be happening.
1: Well, because just two weeks ago... Or let's not even say two weeks ago, because really, the season finale and the season premiere of season three, that was really all in the the, the, the span of one day. Yeah. So basically, we're talking yesterday, maybe last week. They were all on the Andromeda wanting Dylan to be the new president of the new systems commonwealth. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're just, yeah, like you say, no, no investigation, no nothing. It's just, let's go, let's go track this guy down. Oh, he's accused
0: of murder. Well, he must be a murderer.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, Trance, basically, um, do you know who this guy
0: is? <laughs> she asked the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I thought that was odd that the Commonwealth there was not a reasonable voice to be found in the Commonwealth to say whoa 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 let's let's investigate here let's mm-hmm. all right you're accused of murder why don't you stay put at Fellenhof, please you know we understand you're 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 a big deal you know be be a guest there until we get this settled and squared away and then. We'll proceed from there. No, it was you put him in prison.
1: But then, at the same time, they also has to they they also have to wait on word from the bureaucracy, as uh, Becca puts it, for them to actually take the Andromeda, right? Yeah. So they can harass them and they can follow them. I'm just not sure about this new system's Commonwealth. It's it's new.
0: They're not they're not quite gelling yet. Uh, apparently not. Yeah. It, but it, they certainly have not gotten off on a good foot. Mm-hmm. Because it, it felt, it felt, like when that officer walks in, it felt more like police state type personalities mm-hmm. rather than law and order. Right.
1: Well, and even the, the pursuing fleet. You know, yeah, that was a very police state, too, oh, yeah, so I guess maybe if this is what we have to base the future on we got a lot to work on to get this Commonwealth going right,
0: yeah well the the note that I put down here is the new systems Commonwealth now has immediately filled the role as the faceless government bureaucracy bereft of reason or mercy i mean that's that's exactly the way this government was portrayed mm-hmm. when you got through and to the end of this episode. And we're only two episodes into the new season immediately following the charter that's, that brought this government into being.
1: Until they get a full video audio confession from Abelard. <laughs> and then it's just like, okay, no problem. Did they get an apology? Go,
0: go about your business, yeah. citizen.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. That's, the, that's the interesting thing. That I find about this. Uh, and I, I want to see more episodes where they've, they they flesh this idea out. Dylan has brought about these 50 worlds, this new systems commonwealth. And now he's like just this wandering vagabond with no rank <laughs> in amongst this government that he helped to establish. Yeah. In amongst a fleet that he helped. Why don't they at least offer him an admiralty or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, head of the the new systems Commonwealth forces. I mean, he was a captain for so long. Well, does does he not want any
1: of that? What does he want? Does he just want to be a ship's captain? He has a crew of how many?
0: Oh, you know what we haven't talked about. Well, haven't we talked about Star Trek? <laughs> we haven't. Yeah, it's it's been an hour, uh huh, and we haven't talked about Star Trek.
1: Okay, so I mean, he's Captain Kirk syndrome. Okay. He doesn't want to be anything else.
0: Yeah. Don't don't take me out of this
1: chair. He has the opportunity. He doesn't want it. True. He doesn't really have a chair, though, does he?
0: No. He just stands there (laughs) behind his console. Mm -hmm. Um, They should get him a chair. Yeah. Yeah. With (laughs) seatbelts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, no, you're right. I mean, apparently, you know, because they, they, they wanted to make him the Triumvir or whatever that was, the presidency, mm-hmm. whatever that was. He didn't want it. I can understand that. You you put this together. You say, all right, we need this government. We need this, this voice in the universe to bring law and order and sanity. I'm not your guy to lead it, though. I can totally get him saying that. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand why they didn't try and roll him into the military aspect of it. Because that's his background. That's what he's trained in. Yeah, And yet, at no point was there anything to indicate Captain Dylan Hunt is a man of distinction. Yeah. By those Commonwealth forces that came chasing after the Andromeda. Or that chased after them themselves. Mm -hmm. After the Maru.
1: Yeah. No, that is an interesting point.
0: Because really, what is Dylan now? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm casting about, trying to to see if they're if they're going to let us know. Yeah, I mean, is the Andromeda even part of the Commonwealth
1: military force, or is it just are they independent contractors that just <laughs> happened to you know be solely responsible for putting together the new systems Commonwealth?
0: I think this is an excellent point in which to discuss now the new title sequence that we've gotten for this third season. Okay. Because it very much sounds like in the title sequence, Dylan Hunt and crew are basically the new Robin Hood of the known universe. Hm. And so I guess that's what Dylan's title is. He's just citizen Hunt. Yeah. Do-gooder of the universe.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you know in especially like in season 1, it was it was more focused on rekindling the light yeah. right driving back the reintroducing night reintroducing civilization hey, drive back the night huh Why have I heard that yeah um, Interesting. now we've got that or supposedly we've got that mhm because i i have to say i've always hated i've always hated that line from from season 3 on i just thought it was cheesy and corny and frankly i still kind of do but it also does make sense why it would change Season two was just awful. The, the, the title, the sequence. title yeah. sequence was just it was just <laughs> awful. And so what I thought they were just trying to get back around to having Dylan's voice in it, but I still mm-hmm. I still didn't like the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean it does make sense why they changed it. It does because yeah. the story's different now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, his situation in in the galaxy and what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, that has totally changed now. Mm-hmm. His focus has totally changed.
1: Uh, something else that was a little bit different for this episode toward the beginning, uh, in fact, this was before the title sequence, was the, the quote.
0: Oh, the quote. What do we get this week?
1: Well, first of all, did you happen to notice how it was a little bit different, the mm-hmm. shot of this quote? That like the, the, the way the font was? No. Normally, what we've always got was we have a black screen, fade in white letters, fade out to black, fade into scene. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This time we had black screen fade in white letters, fade in scene behind the white letters, hmm. and then fade the letters out.
0: I did not even notice that. yeah,
1: I thought it was interesting, huh, uh, so once you're finishing up reading the quote, you have ships flying yeah. flying in behind it.
0: yeah, that's true. yeah,
1: it was just a little thing, but I thought it was I thought it was kind of
0: cool. Yeah, subtle, yeah, they've gotten good with that, okay. So the quote for this
1: week. The loyal heart has hidden treasures, in secrets kept in silence sealed. From Commander Zingbeck's "The Art of Secrets," approximately Commonwealth Year twenty five seventy five. Any thoughts for you on this one?
0: Actually, yeah, okay. I actually was thinking about this quote, and and it it is right in line with the story that we see unfold with Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the man with a loyal heart, as mm-hmm. I as I read that. And he has secrets. And, and, you know, that was kind of the, coming back to that dynamic that we saw between Dylan and Harper. That was interesting to see. Harper immediately went to the well, he's holding, he's keeping secrets from me. Mm-hmm. He's not letting us help him. And Dylan obviously loses sight of the fact that there was this whole life that he lived 300 years previously. <laughs> yeah. That's easy to forget. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it happened back then. And Harper was just like, Duh, why didn't I think of that? You know, I'm genius of the universe and yet you know, so I it's interesting, there's there's secrets in Dylan's heart. And they're not necessarily you when you say a person's harboring secrets, you think of them as being something dark or something negative in a negative context. And that wasn't the case here. He was holding something back because he had to. We don't fully understand why he's holding that secret. And holding that shard. Mm-hmm. But um, he has a loyal heart. And the secrets were there to protect others and to protect mm, something. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of this episode, you, we see that, that loyal heart that Dylan has. and And get a glimpse into just some of the secrets that he's got compartmentalized. Within there, so I think it was a very relevant quote for the character of Dylan Hunt and the journey that he's on and what he has to deal with in this episode.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely about Dylan. I agree with everything that you just said. Um, Everything that you just said is pretty much what I was thinking as far as um, the even the reasons for keeping the secrets. The keeping the secrets is because of his loyalty. Uh, The loyalty is to the secrets that he's supposed to keep and the loyalty is to his friends and people that he cares about. The loyalty is to the whole universe that if this information were to get out could, could drive factions into chaos. You know, everybody looking for these shards yeah, of remnant. Yeah. So, and again, like you say, whatever else that Dylan might know about,
0: you know, let me ask you this because okay. we're using that term loyal. A loyal heart. Okay, is is Dylan's loyalty to the new system's Commonwealth that he has established and that he's keeping secrets for, and that he's working to strengthen in his own way? Um, is that loyalty going to be tested? Is this kind of a is this going to be a theme that we're going to see going forward?
1: Well, I mean, the way they're treating him so far, you would think so. Yeah, and I I don't think Dylan sees it. At- that way, at this point, um, it, as far as Dylan's concerned, this new system's Commonwealth is, is an extension of the old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he—it's a reestablishment, right? That's—that's that's what he was striving to do. He wants to reestablish the system's Commonwealth, right? So, while on one hand, it's a completely new a system of government, that's how everybody else views it. I think Dylan's probably the only one in the universe now that still sees it as still the old system Con- Commonwealth. Contiguous, yeah, yeah. We just we just fixed it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: So yeah, his, his loyalty is definitely to the Commonwealth. I mean, it's what he spent the last two years trying to trying to fix, trying to bring back. Mm-hmm. And when you put that much work into something um, and invest that much. And also risk that much, as, like being his life, just about every single week for the last two years, he's <laughs> put his life on the line. And then you finally get that that thing, right? And yeah, I think there's naturally going to be a certain loyalty to it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I think that's Dylan at this point. Now, whether the system's commonwealth feels that same loyalty to him, I think we've already seen not, not so, so much. much. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you one final question, Ethan. Episode 46, The Shards of Remney. Final thoughts?
0: Like? Dislike? You know, we've gone through this whole discussion, and we've not really tapped into what we thought about the episode We've talked about the the Vaz of Remney and Dylan and Harper and their exploits and their coming together and their camaraderie. And the problems with the New Systems Commonwealth and everything. And and I think all of that makes for a good episode. Had the episode been done properly. There's really a a lot of things that I don't like about this episode. Just in its production. We touched on a few of them. Split screen. Awful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, really took me out of that whole sequence to the point where I've watched it four times that I can remember. I can't remember how they get to that planet. It, it isn't even explained clearly to me. How do they get to the underground planet where they find Abelard? I don't understand how they get there.
1: Because he painted a, painted a spider web in blood.
0: <laughs> All right. And then they found the
1: spider web.
0: In the cave. Uh-huh. But, I mean, how did we go from point A to point B? I don't understand If, that. if I may. Okay, go for it.
1: I think that, because I thought about that same thing, and I had problems with that too, and this is how I explained that away. Okay. Those are part of Dylan's secrets that he didn't tell anybody. He sees the, the spider web in the blood. Mm-hmm. He doesn't explain to Harper how he knows what that means. He just knows what it means. And he knows where to go. Okay.
0: It's it's still He's being loyal to us too. <laughs> I guess, yeah, and I guess that's the thing, is not being let in on the secret, okay. really, at all, until the very end. Okay. And even then, you're not getting the full details mm-hmm. of, ah, that's why you knew to go there. Oh, that's why uh, the symbol meant something to you. None of that was explained. Yep. And to me, it just felt like lazy writing. And and then, on top of that, you had the production issues poorly executed, IBM should have never shown up on a monitor <laughs> on 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 the screen. Uh, it, that just that just seemed like a glaring <laughs> mistake, uh, and that and that's I'm sure it will never happen again. Okay, wink, wink, <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so there are some issues that I have with this episode on on how things happen and how we get from one place to another, and as we talked about some of the. Uh, comedic elements that were brought in that just, I, I felt like there could have been more effort put into making it something a bit more robust. I mean, the, the elements were there for it. It just didn't come together properly. Um, and, and so for that reason, I like the episode, but I don't like the episode. I probably won't re-watch it but I really liked some of the concepts that were brought up in it. It's just, you know, I I'm very much on the fence with this episode. It's a 50-50. I want to love it, but I also want to just hate it at the mm-hmm. same time. And that's how I feel about it.
1: Okay. I don't want to love it and I don't want to hate it. I like it. Okay. And and I'm good enough with that. Yeah, I had a problem with the sp- with the split screen. It took me out of it. It was distracting and unnecessary. And and yeah, I had a problem with, with some of the holes in the storytelling. Um but when it comes down to it, it was a it was just a fun MacGuffin story. I joked about that earlier about mm. the MacGuffin, but I mean really that's that's what it comes down to. It's yeah. just we have our characters on a on an adventure to find the MacGuffin. They find it and it turns out to be as meaningless as McGuffins always are. <laughs> right. And and I and I think that was kind of the point of it. Yeah, that was the whole point of it. To me, this this is not the kind of an episode that you really have to take all that seriously. And and if you can go into it in that frame of mind, then I think you actually get more out of it than 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 what you would otherwise. Um, for example, the state of the Commonwealth. Yeah, I mean, how's this going to work going forward? Um, I think that's kind of a serious point that this that, that this episode makes, as far as as far as what is the relationship between Dylan and the crew of the Andromeda with this new system's commonwealth. A lot of the things that we've discussed t- today in our discussion just kind of uh, solidifies a lot of those things as far as what it means going forward. And to be honest, I didn't really think of it that way until we had this discussion. This discussion has kind of changed my mind. Hmm. I was ready to come in here and say this was a completely meaningless episode, and I liked it for that, and that's it. But now I'm starting to think, you know what? there actually are some ramifications for what has happened in this, in this episode, Mm -hmm. not because of the plot, not because of what we saw, not because of chasing after the MacGuffin, but because of the other forces that are involved here. Yeah. And how it seems that they're turning on Dylan.
0: No, I, 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 yeah, I totally get what you're saying there because that's, that's kind of where I'm at is Mm -hmm. when I say there are elements of the story that I liked, Mm -hmm. that's, those consequences that you're alluding to there, that's kind of those in part and parcel with those elements that I liked. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's easy for me to say that it wasn't that great of an episode, but it's not a forgettable episode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I've got to say so far, this is the best episode of season three
0: so far. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with Mm -hmm. you on that. Um,
1: yeah. So, I mean, kind of just what I was saying then, you know, really this i was ready to come in saying this was an okay episode but after our discussion now i'm ready to say i liked this episode okay didn't love it but i like it okay yeah so moving forward anyway but if people out there if they like it love it if they nothing this episode let us know how could they get a hold of us, Ethan, if someone wanted to do so?
0: They can do so by emailing us at drivebackthenightpodcast at
1: gmail.com. We're also on the social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can follow us there at Pod on both social media locations. We're on Podbean. That's where you can find every episode besides your podcatcher that you may use. They only go back so far. So check us out on Podbean if you want to start over from the beginning.
0: That's AndromedaSeries.Podbean.com If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you do subscribe to us there, uh, give us some stars and perhaps a review. We would certainly appreciate it.
1: We like stars and reviews. We also have a tip jar on our website. It's AndromedaSeries.Podbean.com We're not begging for money, but if you should happen to stop by, drop some coins of small value in there it's fine good thanks to our big friend doug anderson who once again has supplied his voice for our opening quote of this episode we are an age of geek production we hope you will join us back here again next time as we consider the episode mad to be saved Get attract by these weird aliens from another dimension that we don't know about. Attract? What?
0: <laughs> you said get attract. Attract did I? You did say get attract. Well, I well back it up. Well, shart. <laughs> <laughs>